Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Simone Riscala, and you are listening to the Endowed Podcast, a conversation not just about the feminine genius in general, but about cultivating your particular feminine genius through the Catholic intellectual tradition and intentional community. Well, hello, Endowed Ladies. Simone here, Director of Program Growth, and I am with the wonderful Margaret Perry. Welcome to the Endowed Podcast, Margaret. Thank you, Simone. I'm so happy you're here. So for those of you that aren't familiar with Margaret, I'm going to read her bio because it's very fancy. I could I could do this informally as a friend, but I will read the formal biography here. So she is a sales manager for a Virginia-based, sustainability-focused, fine wine importer and distributor. And prior to that, she managed a Michelin-rated restaurant in Washington, D.C., And before her time in the hospitality industry, she worked in higher education nonprofits, studied literature and philosophy, and wrote about children's literature for magazines such as First Things and St. Austin Review. She was born and raised in Northern California and has lived in Virginia for 13 years, which some say make her a native, but I want to disagree with that (laughs) as a Californian myself. And in her free time, she reads an absurd number of British mysteries, gardens, and hikes in the Shenandoah. Do you see now why I have invited you to come on the Endowed Podcast to inspire us all? Um, So today, um, I'd really love to... So as you know, Endowed is inspired by John Paul II, who, like many wonderful saints and people out there, was, in addition to being a brilliant philosopher was also a poet of sorts and a theater guy um so we want to have because it's the holiday season and hopefully endowed groups and women are planning their autumnal gestures of poetry readings and wine tastings and cider who knows we wanted to have an episode where my authority which is margaret um can kind of guide us by the hand and lead us and inspire us so i i when i think about the good life I think of you, Margaret. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Embarrassing. But thank you. I do. I do. Um, but it's the truth. Yeah. So let's just start off. I just want to know first off, what does poetry mean to you? What does it mean for you personally? That's a great question. I mean, I studied literature, but I would say I mostly read novels and short stories, not necessarily a lot of poetry. But poetry became especially as I was developing my professional career, it became kind of a touchstone for clarity and perception um, that, you know, you can have distilled in this tiny little thing that takes you a minute to read max. You can have this incredibly strong image, even if it's not anything other than describing a seashell, Um, but it's there for you. And it's something like really concrete and complex, but not inaccessible. So I kept turning to it and I actually turned to it a lot in really, really difficult times as like when I didn't have time or energy, really mostly just time, because who doesn't have energy to read? It's the best. But like when I didn't have time to like really sink into something, I would grab poetry and read three poems, 10 poems, a whole book in an hour and a half, which is a ridiculous way to consume poetry. It's not recommended, but like also it started things out and brought things out for you. Yeah, exactly. A balm for your soul during difficulties. 
It really was. And I mean, we know that too, as Christians, we know that because what's the most consoling work of the Bible is the Psalms, right? Right. And that's poetry. Those are, they're songs, they're prayers, but they're poems. And it's that whatever, even whatever translation you read, there's still poetic things like repeated lines and repeated images and a distillation of a really complex thing like a battle into, you know, six lines, right? And um, and we go to that again and again for comfort, even when they literally have nothing to do with our particular circumstances. Yeah, but there's a there's a human experience that's transmitted through the beauty of the poetry. I love yeah. that. What a beautiful, beautiful answer to that. And I think why I really wanted to pick your brain about this is like, what if you're the sort of person asking for a friend who wants to <laughs> want, because I, I love poetry, but it's difficult. And I, I think right. it's difficult for many people. I don't think I'm the only one that, uh, you know, you say, well, okay, I'm going through a difficult time or I, I need an image to just maybe pray with, or just to, right. and you reminded me when you were answering of, of my friend, Scott, who said that listening to certain kinds of concert music, classical music, Mm-hmm. Uh, with without which he said his life would be incomprehensible, and yeah. I feel that it, I it sounded like similar to yeah. what you were saying, right? right. The, the the wisdom, the clarity, the consolation that comes through encountering good poetry. So I guess that that kind of answers my second question about why should we care about it? But on a right. more philosophical level, is you you know what do you have to say to people who say, as we often hear, you know, right. poetry is so useless. You you know, what do we do with it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like, I don't even want to bother answering yeah. that question, right? Like, it's poetry yeah. is music and it's art, it's painting, it's poet, it's photography, it's a play, it's like, it's all of these things. And all of those things are also, I mean, it's the encounter with creativity that is so um, compelling and whatever form it takes, whether, you know, it's, gosh, I just went to an exhibit of, abstract, uh, very famous abstract uh, sculptor. And I couldn't understand any of it, but the friend I was with was like, her mind was blown, right? Poetry is is an, just another medium for that experience um, of the creative force. And of course, we know that beauty ties us to something greater, right? Um, and can open our eyes to something greater. But it's also kind of uh, like we can go very big and you know, Balthazarian on that and talk about aesthetics and all that, but, but actually it's humbler than that, right? It's the, the little moments of our day that, um, that we observe as beautiful. And as a Christian that we observe as part of God's mercy towards us. Right. Um, and a poem in its brevity and it's, um, both like obviously relatively short poems, but also in its brevity of like, you don't have a lot of even if you're using iambic pentameter, you don't have that many syllables in every line. Like it's, you have to use each word. Um, and in that brevity, there can be a lot of weight and a lot of, a lot of movement. And I think the best way to start accessing that is actually to start thinking about them like music. And by that, I don't mean, I mean, for some people, yes, certainly serious music or, uh, you know, sacred music or something like that. But I actually also just mean, you know, folk songs and, um, right. It doesn't, rock. it doesn't have to be Shakespearean song. Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And so, you know, if there's some obscure line from some indie 
rock song that you love, but you don't know what it means. That's poetry. That's what's happening there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so funny hearing you talk because it seems to me that when I really speak to people who are authorities, ah, oh, so glad. Where's mine? Where is yours? Every for the podcast listeners, she's she's drinking wine because it's a poetry and Pinot conversation, and I'm drinking coffee, which was a huge mistake. Well, it's also much earlier where you are. That is true. Uh, I don't know that I should drink on the job, although I feel like we should remove that stigma. <laughs> Internet, anyway. Um, I'm an American after all, not a European, but um, alas, <laughs> but. You know, it seems to me when I speak to people who are real authorities on music or poetry and so forth, there is um, a real humility that's there. Whereas it seems like the pseudo intellectuals or the pseudo musicians, or the pseudo authorities are the ones that are so quick to like be judgmental about like, oh, unless you're reading lofty poetry, you are right. poetry at all. So right. what, are your, what are your strong opinions about that? If you have, <sighs> she says strong opinions with a knowing wink because <laughs> She knows I have them. Because I know you. Um, so again, I think I think one of the things that we struggle with uh, as adults coming to understand this medium is that there are huge swaths, of, there are huge schools of poetry and different kinds of poetry, and even in um, you know even in modern poetry, whatever that means, or contemporary poetry, which is most of the piece, all of the pieces that. I've chosen today. Yeah. Um, even in them, there's a confessional school and there's an observational school and there's an obscure school where everything is abstract and you don't understand the first time you, or the 20th time that you read it, how the words relate to each other. And there's the difficulty of the poetry that we actually are introduced to as, as students in, in junior high and high school. Um, I think things like you know, like Longfellow in The Children's Hour, which I'm sure many of us have read when we were kids or Robert Louis Stevenson's Garden of Verses or the silly things like Lewis Carroll's The Jabberwocky and stuff like that, right? Like those are accessible to us when we're young, but we never make that jump mm. to, then we start reading some very serious poetry that's beautiful, but also difficult. Um, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner takes 30 minutes to read aloud. It's, it's not easy. It's dense. So that can scare us. I think I'm going on a little tangent there. Sorry. To bring it back, I think one of the dangers is just throwing out, uh, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like we need to if you want to experience poetry, you need to figure out how you, you like to experience it. Yeah, you have to do um, what you like. You know what? Yeah. Ben, ben Heschmeyer said the same thing when we were recording a podcast on Bach. Yeah. I admitted to him, like, oh, I'm on the Beethoven Mozart end of things. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm, I love the romantics, but, like, I know Bach is, like, the Bach and, like, the... But I, I can't quite get into, except for the Brandenburg Concerto. I can't, I want to be like, oh yeah, I totally <laughs> appreciate all the nuance here, but I'm just not there yet. My soul's right. not there yet. You know, and he's like, just start with what you love. And I hear you saying yeah. the same thing. Like, if you want to get into this thing, um, which is worth getting into, just start with where you're at and let yeah. it grow from there. I think that's really yeah. wise. What are you missing if you don't engage poetry? What's the loss? I think it's a loss of, um, of vision, really. Yeah. I actually think of, of poetry a lot like a, a photograph or a painting. Um, and I actually think of my relationship 
to it a lot. Like I think about um, the way that I take photographs and share them on social media, because that's life now. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I'm, I would say that I'm a creative person, but I'm not a, like, I don't have an art form that I'm fluent in. Um, but when I started uh, taking photographs, I started sort of pinpointing things that I really, that struck me, whether it was the way, you know, shadows fell across a wall or a, a particular flower or, you know, the light on a kitchen table. Well, those are also the things that are noted in poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not true of, of all poetry. Um, and it's not really true of formal poetry um, pre 20th century, but there is like, to me, poetry is a way to bring your emotions and your emotions into focus really. Mm-hmm. And I think we know that already because we feel that with music and yeah. music is again, just poetry set to rhythm and beat a melody and a rhythm. Yeah. 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 Right. And so, so we know that that's a thing that happens even if it feels obscure or obtuse, it actually, it's not because it's part of our daily experience. And so uh, to me, that's what it is. It's like kind of focusing in on um, why do I care the way that the light hits the side of a wall? What is that telling me? What is that? And usually poetry will say, okay, here's the shadow against the wall. Or for example, the William Carlos Williams one, which we all learned in high school and didn't understand then, but like so much depends on a red wheelbarrow in the rain with white chickens or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Right. Why does so much depend on that? Why does it matter how the light falls against a wall? Well, it did strike me and now I need, now I have something to think about. And so, yeah, a lot depends on it. Right. And it's up to us as the receivers of the poem and the readers to sort of come to our own conclusion, but he helped me see beyond just the red wheelbarrow to something that there's more than just that. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm. Exactly. Um, I'm thinking of Dostoevsky's beauty will save the world and that there is a, there is an element and there's a frustration. If you're, if you're frustrated with mystery, then you will be frustrated with poetry, especially if it's good poetry. Is it worth reading poems that you find too difficult? Is it worth it? That's a good question. I I might have to say not always. I knew you were going to say something like that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't, um, I like, I love poetry. So I do read things that I struggled with in high school. I've reread the rhyme of the ancient Mariner many times and I continue to struggle with it. As my dad would say, I didn't like it then and I don't like it now. Um, but, (laughs) but I also think that there are writers who once you start reading poetry you will find writers who you get the images right away you see them and then you want to start digging deeper right so for example one of the poems that I was going to talk about it we can read it if you want is Mary Oliver yes who passed away a couple years ago um and she had a pretty big she has a very observational style and um, where she sees the natural world and she draws something almost confessional out of it about herself and her, uh, her relationship to it. But she also had a pretty big conversion towards the end of her life. Um, and her, her, before that became apparent, 
there's like more and more touching on the transcendental in her poems. Um, so last week I was stuck in an airport because I did something very stupid and missed my flight. And I went to the bookstore and I bought myself a book of her poetry from the eighties. Now, most of the poetry of hers that I know is from, from the two thousands. Right. And even from the 2010s, like in the last written in the last or published in the last 10 years, this was a really difficult volume for me and it doesn't have that same immediacy, but I do love her and I love her vision. So that's, while it's hard for me and it's work for me and I didn't get the like consoling feeling that I wanted because I was stuck in the Houston airport. Right. I did actually like, I'm going to go back to it and read it again multiple times. So just because someone says it's good, doesn't mean that it's something that you'll like. And I think one of the joys of being an adult and not being in school anymore is that you don't have to read what you don't want to or what you don't like. (laughs) You can do what you want, Simone. Yeah, <laughs> you're off the hook. You're off the hook. I know you can just enjoy life and live it. I know, but there's just yeah. you know, you know how it is sometimes in like liberal arts circles, which are our where it's like you you gotta read these are the book, these are the poems, and it's yeah. Anyway, that's so that's so neat, and so, yeah. so poetry, poetry, how you pray most? <gasps> mm. I mean. Yes. I'm not very good at off the cuff prayer. <laughs> so, well, is poetry, I mean, I think most prayers are are poems. Right. But I mean, like yeah. your encounter with God in poetry. Yeah. Right? Oh, through poetry. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. And the world is charged with God, as we know from our dear friend, poet Gerard Manley Hopkins, the grandeur of God, right? Um, so, yes. Our experience of the world, when we're attuned to God's providence and his mercy, is going to be, it's going to be, you know, a touchstone to him, a reaching out to him. And I think poetry and its kind of unique, like, very concrete images that also pull to something emotional are, are, it's a unique relationship of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brilliant. Well, I know we've got like five poems, but I think probably you don't have to do all. Of them. I think we should just do the one that you chose because I do want to talk to you about wine, which is the yes. second part of this conversation. And yeah. I don't want to rush this poem. So before we start that, what are who's your favorite poet? A ridiculous, okay. ridiculous question. Ridiculous. It, well, it is and it isn't. I mean, my my favorite poet is probably T. S. Eliot. Okay, I say that having just told everybody that poetry is accessible. I have tried but I also like this is I mean I had to do this for school I had to write um my first big paper was on the wasteland and I just couldn't make head or tails out of it but I had to this was this was the assignment so I ended up just listening to it I would go for a walk every day and I'd put it in my Walkman I love that and I would walk and it was 20, the recording of him reading it is like 26 minutes. And I, so I would walk 26 minutes, listen to it, turn around, walk 26 minutes back, listen to it again. Um, and like getting into the rhythm of it. So that was really what kind of formed my poetic rhythm, yeah. I would say, um, in my head. And so he's, he's still the favorite, but I also really struggle with him. And, you know, I, I recognize the masterpiece that the Four Quartets is, but I also only have 
a few bits, have a handle on a few bits, you know, but that's also, I mean, right. Like that's like a Beethoven symphony or the second movement of the the symphony is my, right. You just, you just like, how will you ever handle it? Or it's, I mean, and with Bach too, right. Like Yo-Yo Ma just came out with another recording of the Bach cello concertos, which he's done so many times and he still says he sees more. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, that's the brilliance of it. Yeah. Yeah. With any of these things. So I do think, and I wanted to say, so um, I want to mention here and, and maybe we can put it in, in the show notes, a couple things, if you are interested in getting into poetry, yeah. um, there are a handful of authors who are, I'm not going to call them Christian poems, poets, yeah. but they are great poets who, who happen to be Christian. Yeah. Um, and I think that they're a really good uh, entry point. And again, with the mindset of the Psalms, which again, like most of the Psalms are about things that aren't really very, I mean, like how many of them are about battles, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but so with that kind of mindset, think about, um, think about reading them. Some of them are alive today and still publishing and some of them are not, but Mary Oliver is definitely one, especially her last three or four volumes. Um, Jane Kenyon is really magnificent. She's, uh, not as observational and nature driven, or she's not as nature driven as Mary Oliver, but similarly observational. I think, both of us have a love for Wendell Berry, which is the poem that we're going to read um, together. Um, and then a couple explicitly Christian ones are uh, Dana Joya, who is from California, and Scott Cairns, who's, uh, I think he's from Nebraska or Kansas City or, anyway, he's from the Midwest, um, but he is an Eastern Orthodox, he's in the Eastern Orthodox Church, and he writes really beautiful, rich and layered, um, and mystical as you would expect from a, from an Eastern, right? Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. Um, they're, they're great starts. The other thing that I will say is I definitely do not endorse everything that things like poetry.org or poetry, which is runs poetry magazine, everything that they, um, publish, a lot of it is not to my enjoyment. Um, but they do a lot of like, they do theme roundups or seasonal roundups. And I find that that's really helpful too, to start getting into a poet is like, read what poems they have to say about autumn. Cause they're, I oh, love that. That's, that's a great resource for endowed women if they don't already. Yeah. Know. Yeah. yeah. Because then you can start exploring. And if there's some, if there's a poem you really, really like, just start finding other poems by that person and see if you like all of them and you'll start going down the rabbit hole. So oh, I love that. Easy. It's a great place to start. Thank you. for um, that. Yeah, of course. Fantastic. Right, well, we're going to talk about wine, but first let's read. Let's read. Um, Wendell Berry. Uh, so this is called to my mother and it in fact was first published in poetry magazine. Um, I'm not sure what year, but I really love it. And it's a, I think it's a fun one to share because um, I very much don't identify with the speaker, but I very much identify with the sentiment. Mm. So it's called to my mother. I was your rebellious son. Do you remember? Sometimes I wonder if you do remember so complete has your forgiveness been so complete has your forgiveness been. I wonder sometimes if it did not precede my wrong and I erred safe found within your love prepared ahead of me the way home or my bed at night so that almost I should forgive you who perhaps foresaw the worst that I might do and forgave before I could act, causing me to smile now, looking back, 
to see how paltry was my worst compared to your forgiveness of it already given. And this then is the vision of that heaven of which we have heard, where those who love each other have forgiven each other, where for that the leaves are green, the light, a music in the air, and all is unentangled and all is undismayed. Beautiful. I really love that description of heaven. And, and I think of those lines, especially the light of music in the air all the time. And it's a really, it's a really powerful image, but it's also, you know, I wasn't rebellious, nor am I a son, but it is a relationship that we know. And it is the relationship of us to the father too. I love it. I hadn't read this one before. Yeah, there's so, so much. Is it the last stanza? That's the, the last stanza is the one that strikes you the most. Yeah. The light, yeah. the music in the air. Beautiful. Well, I'll link it to the show notes. And I think what, to me, when I, when I um, read it, or have, this is now the third time, it is truly like the hidden secret of the faith. It's so glossed over, unknown, yet to be discovered. And then right. there, there it is in this like very accessible humble little yeah well yeah. Shall, we, shall we move on to wine sure thing yeah great now you've been inspired we're gonna have our autumnal <laughs> events with poetry we're gonna have a relationship with poems and poetry we'll be unafraid we're all grown-ups we don't have to read what other people say we do we don't have to do that modern poetry is not off limits um <laughs> within reason and now tell me about your love of wine Well, I think we kind of thought of putting these two together because this is, they're naturally, they go together. They go together. Um, One of the first scenes in all of literature has to do with wine. I don't know if you can tell what I'm going to say. Um, But one of the first... The Greek tragedies? Are you... Homer. Homer, of course. The Odyssey. Um, The Cyclops, who has captured Odysseus. Uh, They don't have wine. They're shepherds. They don't have wine. They don't have grapes. They don't have vineyards. They don't have fruit. They just have like, therefore no life. Yeah, I know. What are they doing? I wonder they only have one eye. Um, So he gets, Odysseus gets the Cyclops drunk. And, and that's how he, and then he ties himself to the sheep and he and his ship's crew escape the Cyclops and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, cunning little Odysseus. But there is a, um, there is a sympathy between these two things for sure. So I, I love that. And, yeah. you know, unrelated, but related is our <laughs> Lord's first miracle, you know, exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> the source of poetry itself. <laughs> I mean, so how do there's we- more love poetry than anything else in the world. So <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, so, 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 so tell us, advise us for this season. Oh boy. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, this is the question that I get all the time, no matter what, who I'm talking to, or even when I go home to Napa, which, P.S., we, is we, where California wine We want is to be cool like you. We want to be like, ah, oh, yes, <laughs> drink this. Yeah. No. What do I drink? What do I do? Exactly. Um, vineyard that. And, you know, yeah. I want to be fair. Yeah. I mean, my, my first piece of advice, just like with poetry, is to go experience it. And just like poetry, you need to know where to start. And this is going to be one of the more judgmental things that I say on this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) But Simone knows me well enough to know that that's kind of bold. Um, 
you will not first experience wine in a good way if you're buying it at your grocery store or if you're buying it at Trader Joe's. I recognize that Endow is a national national organization and has women all over the country and and international, but we, and international. We'll, yeah. Well, like I really can't speak to international yeah. laws about wine at all. Um, I know that every state is different when it comes to experiencing wine, but I really want to encourage you to find a local wine store and tell them honestly what your price point is. And then start having a conversation about the things that you like and the things that you don't like and let them start picking for you because you will spend less and drink better if you're buying from a local place. But more important, but not more importantly, but equally important is that you're going to be buying wine made by real people in real places, um, providing for their families and um, for the infrastructure of these towns and um, whether it's, you know, some obscure little hillside in Italy or, you know, the Napa Valley, which sounds really glamorous, but is full of hardworking people. Yeah. And, uh, so I really want to encourage you to experiment and be okay with having a bad bottle and go back to the same shop and tell them why you didn't like that bottle, because then they're going to start being like, oh, OK, so you like fruity, but you don't like that kind of fruit. Good to know. Let's try this over here. You know, a good shop is going to help take care of you um, and stretch your stretch your your perception of wine. Um, but also all of that being said, the most important thing is that you like it. That's actually what matters about wine. So Just like the poem. Just like <laughs> Exactly. That's all that. I mean, and if you don't like wine and you like beer, that's fine. Like whatever. But I love I found, this is related to our Catholic social teaching and Dow study that we these rights, solidarity and subsidy. Yes. Your local wine shop, your local vineyard. Mm-hmm. You know, um, getting to yeah. know them, the hardworking nature of it. So yeah. Something that's becoming less and less. Wine and wine. I promise you, like your local wine shop probably won't have a $7 wine but their $13 bottle is better than anything you could get for 17 at your average grocery store. Why is that? It's, I mean, we is like, so I'm a distributor and an importer. So our company brings wine in from Spain, Italy, France, Austria, Germany, uh, Georgia, um, all over the world. And we are seeking out things that are extraordinary at the, at each price point. Yeah. Um, and no distributor can get away with not having wines that wholesale for $7 and a wine that wholesales for $7 costs you about 12. So we are seeking that out, but we're also seeking it out according to a set of principles. And so for us, it's sustainability. And that means wine made by real people in real places and in a way that is um, looking towards the future, uh, both in big picture, but small picture too. I mean, a lot of these these wineries are families and they're looking to the next generation to continue the work because this is actually their livelihood. It's not a glamor thing. It's how they work. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, And so for us to be able to share those things, like it's our job to find the obscure and the small um, and therefore the inexpensive. um, I love that. But to share them with you. So, but we can't sell to a grocery store. We don't bring in enough stock at a gro- to a grocery for a grocery store, you know. So um, it's really the um, the the smaller shops that can start seeking those things out. 
Well, I know what I'll be doing this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Going to every liquor store. I'm having an autumnal pumpkin poetry night and I'm going (laughs) to... I'm going to take all these recommendations. I think that's, I think that's so exciting. And it's a, especially in like post COVID life. I mean, it's not like we weren't lonely before or I feel like isolated before, but what a great way to feel connected to your community in a new way. If you aren't right. already, um, living yeah. that. And I, I guess I have to, you know, before we say goodbye, I guess I have to ask you because watching your life unfold in the last, I don't know, decade or so, it seems it's so it's so unique, so interesting, so unrepeal, like everybody else. But it, <laughs> it's, it you know um, it's unique and uh, and very inspiring. And um, you know, in terms of like the per- your personal vocation, right? That these things are flowing out of who you are. How has that experience been for you? Because I mean, did you know that this would be your life? I mean. No, not at all. Not right. at all, right? So, I mean, if I had known I was going to be in wine, I grew up in Napa, California. Why am I here in Arlington, Virginia, where it's 90 degrees and 900% humidity? <laughs> um, but if I hadn't come to DC, I wouldn't have met you. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> <There's several linings. laughs> um, but no, I mean, I didn't know that this was going to be the path by any means. And in fact, like as as you said in the bio, like I worked in restaurants for about, um, I think probably about nine years total, um, part-time and full-time and managed a really wonderful high-end restaurant in DC. Um, and I really thought that that was going to be it. That was going to be the job. I, I, there's still no job that I've loved more, but our personal vocations still have to be vocations, which means you have to be able to listen to the voice of God. Yeah. Right. And I couldn't in that life. And it turned into um, I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for the relationships that I have, um, with the people that I worked with. And I'm really glad to know that it's not where I should be and it's not where I will blossom. And so, uh, it's been a, I mean, it's been a hard thing. It's been, and I mean, honestly, like to start trying to sell wine and build a territory in the middle of COVID is not the easiest thing in the world. Um, but but it was really wonderful to be able to serve my customers, my community in difficult times as they were serving their communities, you know? And so I'm removed from, from the people that I served day to day, uh, in restaurant life, but I'm, I'm actually, it's a much more balanced, balanced thing. Uh, so I guess the trick is to experiment with everything. Yeah. Experiment with your poetry, experiment with your wine, and maybe soberly and carefully and thoughtfully experiment with your career. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and, but that's the thing. It's more than just a career. It's, it's right, you're right. Yes. You in there. That's the, yeah. the, the vocational element that I think is so... Which is just, I mean, that's 100% God. Like, I, it's, I could not have imagined right. having the fullness that I have right now in the time before. And it's still very much a job and it's still very much a job that I'm happy to close the computer and walk away from. Um, but it's a job that is in actual relation to who I am as a person, which means that I'm actually able to serve it better. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the trick, which no one told us when we were going to all of those happy hours about careers and vocations in DC. Yeah. <laughs> no one told us that trick. <laughs> oh, no, that's so true. Oh my goodness. I think you just have to live it. You just have to live it with the adventurous life of the Holy Spirit and, yeah. and God because it's always 
I have found um, hilarious and, yes. and surprising <laughs> and weird. Definitely yeah. weird. Definitely. Um, definitely weird, but in a good way, in a good way. So any last, any final words of inspiration and in the holiday season and uh, <laughs> you know, the endowed women who, you know, just the intellect, the love of the intellectual life. Because I mean, I, Margaret, I could talk to you about so many, <laughs> I so many, talk about so many things, so many things, but any final, any final words that are just burning. That's, that's, I mean, I, you know, it was funny when I looked up the, one of the, Jan Kenyon poems that now, of course, I can't find it. There was like one that was like literally four sentences. And I was like, oh, that's what I should have picked. Um, that would be good last words, but I can't, I can't find them. So um, no, I mean, I just, you know, I, I love these things and I'm so grateful to be able to share them with you and with all of your listeners and I really like beautiful things to be shared, but also find your beautiful thing to be shared, whether it's music or poetry or clothing or gardening or wine or murder mysteries. <laughs> I thought of you the other day because in the Armenian church, I don't remember the spiritual significance, but something about the exaltation of the cross and basil plants. So at the, at the end of liturgy, they have all these basil plants that they're blessing oh, and they're like giving them out at the end oh, of the class. And I'm like, joy. I'm going to go home and plant this and then I'm going to tell Margaret about it because <laughs> it's just so, you know, the good life that you represent yes. in my life. So, oh my gosh. Well, I would love to know that significance, but. I know I should have been paying attention, but I was like, I was dreaming the aroma got to me. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I know. Right. I didn't pay attention. attention to anything but basil when there's basil. Yeah, my mom's like, is it because it's St. Basil? I'm like, I don't think it's anything to do with St. Basil, but I'll find out for you. But it's really cool. We're very, like, carnal people, the Armenians. Yeah. We yeah. It's basils. We give out grapes for the assumption. Right. You know, there's, we, like, yeah. we like food. Anyway, well, thank you so yeah. much, Margaret. You're welcome. <laughs> and I guess people can, you know if the women are listening to this and they're like, nah, I need to talk to her directly. I think they can, maybe they can find you. I don't know. <laughs> findable, but well, my Instagram is private. Okay. But there's uh, always Instagram. But, requests. Yes, exactly. And, Send me a note. I'm at by mags. Thank you. Um, thank you. If this episode was helpful for you, please consider sharing it with a friend or two. We would also appreciate it so much if you left a rating and review so that more women can discover and endow and our mission to help women cultivate their unique feminine genius. Please also check out the link below to learn how to become a monthly donor to help defray podcast production costs. And of course, if you'd like to talk to me about joining or starting your own endow group, please email me at simone.riscala at endowgroups.org. And remember, you are the heart of endow.